The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. So uh, this morning, um, I am doing something very, very different. Um, if you know the way that I, I've, you know, maybe half a dozen times been up here, and I usually come with a concept, and um, I bring a lot with me, right? I have, uh, you know, videos to back up what I'm saying. I have tons of verses prepared. I have diagrams. Uh, uh, the other day, somebody was bringing up uh, the diagrams from, uh, you know, the different uh, sciences of the Lord uh, that I had brought up the one time. I have so much prepared. And before I start the sermon, I always stop and I pray. I go, Lord, um, please take over. Um, and wreck out all my plans because I want you to do what you want to do, right? <clears throat> and so um, about a month ago, Pastor Brian had asked me if I wanted to uh, preach this morning. And I said, okay, sure. And um, I was like, Lord, what do you want to preach on? And, um, and he brought some things to memory. And then he challenged me. And he said, you know, Joey, every single time you make a plan and then ask me to change your plan, well, how about you just let me lead? Um, that's scary. Can I tell you that's scary for me? Um, especially because this morning um, I want to continue something. Uh, about four different people had asked me if I would continue um, a subject, and that subject is a scary subject for me to preach about. So I'm going to let you know this morning that uh, this is, I'm not scared, but it's a scary place to be where the Lord said, don't, uh, don't prepare. And in doing that, I actually prepared more than I've ever prepared for any message because I prepared any, like all over the place for whatever he may lead. Um, and it's a scary topic. So, uh, but in uh, Jeremiah chapter one, verses seven and eight, um, God says to Jeremiah, you must go where I send you and you must say what I tell you and do not be afraid of the people because I will be with you and I will protect you. Right? So I'm really leaning on Jesus this morning for that thing. Now, I know, I know where I'm going, so don't feel like this is going to be just floundering around and nothing. Uh, I know exactly where I'm going. I'm just planning on letting God take as uh, much control as possible this morning. So as far as how I get there, it's very open to what I believe he's going to allow to happen here. He's going to, uh, Lord willing, bridle my mind and tongue. So uh, with that in mind, uh, I would like you to join me in prayer as we ask God to wreck every one of my plans. <laughs> uh, Lord Jesus, um, here we are, Lord. We're right here, right now, Jesus, in this moment. And we're open to hearing what you have to say, God. Um, I have done my best to prepare an open canvas for you. Um, and Lord, I ask that you would paint on it with power. Um, Lord, I ask that we would leave this place different than we came in because you came to meet us here, Jesus. Um, and I ask, Lord, that you will indeed uh, be my protection, God, Lord, uh, in all things. And I, I trust you this morning. We're looking forward to what you are going to do. You're just so awesome, Lord. All right, so um, uh, I needed a direction, right? And so the direction is this, is that about four different people had asked me if I would uh, continue a series. And so I was like, huh. And I went to Lindy, I was like, hey, what do you think that they're talking about? Because I thought I finished all my sermons. <laughs> and, uh, and Lindy said, she goes, um, oh, well, I think what they're talking about is uh, when uh, you had preached a message and began it with three questions. 
And the three questions were a lead-up to the main point. And uh, the three questions were, it was actually three statements, and you had to decide whether or not you agree with those statements. And you never tackled the last one. And you said, I'm not going to tackle this because I've run out of time. And so she's like, I think that's what everybody's talking about. The one thing that you never talked about that you left kind of open is what you should finish. And I'm like, that's perfect because it is really applicable to a lot of things that I've been personally going through lately and things that I had to really study up on. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, uh, my last bit of setup here is that I was talking to Ron earlier today, and um, you want to have a very straight, linear shot at things, but sometimes um, in our current culture, uh, we believe things for strange reasons, and they're not really biblical. And because they're not biblical, you can't just reference the one verse, because a lot of people will take one verse and run with it in the wrong direction. You literally have to take the fullness of the gospel, right? And so um, this morning, this is going to kind of go like this. It's like, imagine a nail. I put a nail down, and I'm going to hammer that nail with Scripture until, like, it's undeniable, okay? So that Scripture is going to be from here, then it's going to be from here, then it's going to be from here. And I'm assuming that's how it's going to work, because, again, we're trusting God this morning. I will do my best to give you all Scripture references, because I do not have them for the screen. Um, because, again, I'm trying to allow God to lead. Um, but I will try to give you references for all of them, and I will try to quote them properly. Um, and then, of course, afterwards, if you'd like to come and ask me, I can requote any of them for you. All right? So here's what we're talking about this morning. We are going to talk about judgment. This is a scary topic, especially in Los Angeles, because both uh, the world, right, people that are, do not live by the Word of God, and those in the church both have a very similar view of judgment, but it doesn't agree with this book, right? It, a couple, like, they've taken like a verse and ran with it, ignoring all the other verses. And so this morning, I really want to talk about judgment. So that's where we're going. We're talking about judgment, and we're specifically talking about three things. Number one, what does the Bible say about judgment? Number two, how do we judge people, right? whether you're talking about the Christian people or, number three, people that are not following the Word of God because you do it a little bit differently. And that's what we're focusing on this morning, okay? Um, And here's how we're going to get it. We're going to start back up the way that we started before, and I'm going to finish uh, the sermon this time because instead of being a lead-up, it's the actual main point. All right? So here we go. Um, uh, Before, I had asked uh, three questions. It was more I made three statements. And uh, maybe you weren't here that day. If you were here, you can always go back and, and look at that. I'm going to go uh, less deep than I did last time for the first two, and I'm going to really focus on the judgment stuff. Um, however, these were the three statements. Decide in your mind. Don't raise your hand. Don't answer audibly. Don't give any kind of sign because I don't want you to feel embarrassed if you're um, off biblically. But these are the three statements. Decide if you agree with them. Statement number one, we are all the children of God. Statement number two, nobody's perfect except for Jesus. And statement number three, you're not supposed to judge people. Those are the three statements. Again, I'll go over them again. Number one, we're all the children of God. Number two, nobody's perfect except for Jesus. And number three, you're not supposed to judge. If you agree with any of those statements, you are biblically incorrect, which should blow your mind because so much culture, Christian culture, is all about those three statements. So let me run through them real quick. 
Um, first of all, uh, uh, we are all the children of God. This is a very popular belief because it kind of encompasses the love of God, right? We're all the, I mean, you hear, uh, uh, the, you know, it's sung in Disney movies, you know, I thought we all were children of God, right? And she's like looking at, ooh, looking at a picture of Jesus on the wall as she sings this, right? I thought we're all the children of God. This is what the world believes, and this is what most Christians believe. However, the Bible says about being a child of God in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, to as many as received him, to as many as who believed in his name, to them, he gives the right to become the children of God, right? If you're born into salvation, then God's a terrible father for sending his son Jesus to die so that you can get to heaven, right? Jesus says in um, uh, 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 John chapter 14, verse uh, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, right? So, if we don't need Jesus to get to heaven, if we're born into being the children of God, then why did Jesus come to die, and why did, he send, why did the Father send his Son to die? We need Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, to uh, as many as who um, uh, believe in, I'm sorry, uh, 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 confess in your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? So you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and now you're saved. You can't skip those points, right? In John 3.16, uh, he goes even easier on you when he says, For God so loved the world that he gives one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They, don't, they take out the confession in that one. You literally have to believe. But you don't get to automatically be a child of God. It wouldn't make any sense. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11, when we talk about the Beatitudes, Right, where Jesus is like, you know, uh, blessed are the, you know, peacemakers, or blessed are the pure, or blessed are the this, blessed are that. He goes through all the, all the different um, uh, uh, beatitudes, and when he gets to the peacemakers, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they shall be called the children of God. The children of God are very different than the world, and you'll see that all throughout Scripture. Look through Proverbs. Proverbs literally delineates differences between the people of the world and the people of God continually, constantly, right? Uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, right? Uh, uh, for a good man saves up an inheritance for his children's children, but the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, right? A good man and the righteous. Being good doesn't make you righteous, right? Being good makes you good. Being a child of God makes you righteous, right? You're with right standing with God. So I want to first cover this point, is that if you are saved, praise God, you are saved. But there is a difference between the wheat and the tares. There is a difference between the grain and the chaff. There is a difference between the sheep and the goats. And this is found all through Scripture. Jesus will talk about it. All through Proverbs, they talk about it. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Right? Moses will stand up and he will tell you the blessings of following the commandments of God. You know, he'll say, uh, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed to the commandments that I've commanded you this day and you are faithful to observe and to do them, right? These are the blessings for the people who follow the ways of God. However, over here, if you don't follow the ways of God, it's like all your worst nightmares. <laughs> It's like, you know, your crops are going to fail, and this is terrible things going to happen, and you're going to have disease and pestilence and blah, 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 blah. So there's a very clear delineation between whether you're a child of God or you're not a child of God. So I'm going to move on from that point. 
but I wanted to make that point because that's important to this entire process as well. All right, and it's part of the three questions, and hopefully I am uh, doing good at finishing a previous sermon. Uh, so number one, no, we're not all the children of God, but it's so easy to become the children of God, right? God desires that all should, um, uh, that none should perish, but all should come to everlasting life, all right? This is the desire. The desire is that the Lord would chase, he chases after you. David says it like this, who is this king of glory who pursues me with his love? Right? Here in America, you'll see Jesus saves written on bathroom stalls. You'll find tracks lying on the ground. It'll be spray-painted on the walls. I mean, there's nobody out there who doesn't know that Jesus loves them. It is so obvious. In fact, it's so obvious that people have been rebelling against it. They don't want to hear it anymore. They are over it. Right? There's a, a guy who preaches about a vision he had of hell. And when he preaches about this vision of hell, he, um, he, uh, you know, he referenced a lot of Bible verses. Right? Verse, 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 like crazy, like, like rapid-fire verses for, like, ever. And then he was asked to come on a talk show with an atheist, and the atheist said, don't you give me any of your Bible. I don't want it. I don't want your God. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it, right? He made it very clear. So, praise God, God gave him words to say to this man that we're outside of the Word of God, but we're still truth, right? And so, that's the difference. The person who says, I don't want you, I don't want you, I don't want you to Jesus is very different to the one who pursues him, right? Who goes after him, who says, <clears throat> search me and know me, O God. See if there's any wicked way within me, right? There's a very big difference there. So I want you to understand there's a difference. People of God, not the people of God. We are not all automatically the children of God, but becoming the child of God is as easy as believing. And he desires that all should be believers, all should spend eternity with him. So that's point number one. Point number two, nobody's perfect. <clears throat> this one is, uh, it's understandable, right? Um, because we know these verses like uh, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Or Ephesians uh, chapter 7, verse 20, right? There is no one on earth who does righteousness and does not sin, right? And it makes sense. We're born into sin. Look, when I'm born, I only see through my eyes. I'm very selfish with my eyes, with what I see. I only hear through my ears. I only think in my mind. I only know in my mind. I'm all about me from the moment I'm born. I probably didn't ask my mom if she wanted to take the night off and I would just not cry till I was like, I don't know, eight or something. Because from the very beginning, we are selfish. It's how we're born. We're born into this sin, right? But here's the thing. Once you give your sin away to Jesus, your sin goes away. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, confess your sins, um, uh, and he is faithful to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you forget, uh, confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He doesn't cleanse you of most of your unrighteousness. He doesn't clothe you or cleanse you of like 99.99% of your righteousness like, or unrighteousness like Purell would do, right? He's cleansing you of all of your unrighteousness. And you're wiped clean of unrighteousness, right? And then it's really interesting. In, um, oh man, I think it's Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says it like this. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. 
If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. What interesting verbiage here, has passed away. The only time we ever say things have passed away is when they die, right? Which makes sense if you look at Romans chapter 6, verse 2, right, where uh, uh, Paul says it like this. He's flabbergasted at this concept. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? It's gone. It's gone, right? Uh, uh, Psalms chapter, I think it's uh, 103 or 104, one of those, uh, says that as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Micah chapter 7 verse 19 says uh, that he has subdued our iniquities. He has had compassion on us. He has thrown them into the sea. Right? Um, uh, Isaiah uh, chapter, uh, I think it's 1, uh, 8, says it like this. He says, uh, if though your sins be like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. They, they'll be like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Right? He takes them and he completely wipes them away. He takes the red of our sin and washes it as white as wool, as white as snow. That's what he does with this. And the, uh, the lie here is that when you give your sin away and it goes away, that it's still there and you're still in it. And here's what I think uh, the lie is meant to do. And the lie is meant to keep us locked in sin. Because here's the thing. If I'm just a sinner, it's just who I am. I'm just a sinner through and through. And I hear this all the time. I'm just a sinner. We're all imperfect. We're all sinners. Then sinning is no big deal. Because hey, it's just who I am. Right? If I'm addicted to pornography, then hey, it's just who I am. Right? You can't blame me. I'm a sinner. Right? If I, if I curse at people, if I have terrible road rage, right? If I'm cheating on my wife. Look, these things are not okay. Jesus would say they're not okay. The idea is that when you're in Christ, the old passes away. And again, like Paul would say it, you're dead to this stuff. How can you live in it any longer, right? So if I'm looking at the people of this room right now, if any of you came in here with a bitter heart toward God, and anger, and hatred towards your brethren, and all that kind of stuff, I hope you've laid it at the cross. And if you've laid it at the cross, he has cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And I'm looking at a room of people who are cleansed. And I'm looking at a people whose sin is as far from them as the east is from the west. If you go east, you'll never hit west. (laughs) I'm just letting you know that. Like, this can be west, and this is east, right? Even if I circle the world and get to here, I'm still going east. It's infinite. Now, if I go north, eventually I'll hit north, and I'll stop. If I go south, eventually I'll hit south, and I'll stop. But if I go east or west, I will never stop going east. You can always go more east or more west. So what I'm saying is, he's saying infinitely away from you, as white as wool, as white as snow, no one condemns you, right? Jesus said that to the lady called the adultery. Does anyone here condemn you? Neither do I condemn you, all right? So I'm looking at a group of perfect people. Now, that doesn't get us into heaven. We still need Jesus to get us into heaven. All right? I want you to understand that. There's no way to heaven but through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him, Jesus. All right? So I'm not talking about our ticket to heaven. I'm talking about us living right now. And when I say perfect, look, some people might be like, look, somebody who's perfect is like, you know, every time they throw a free throw, they make a swish. Right? Every time they draw a painting, it's Rembrandt. Right? No, that's not perfect. 
right? Isaiah chapter 53 says, um, he hath no form nor comeliness, and there is no beauty in him that we should desire him. Talking about Jesus, right? He has no beauty. So Jesus wasn't a pretty guy, and yet he was perfect. The reason he was perfect is uh, in Hebrews 4.15, says it like this. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses, but who is tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. It's your choices to follow the word of God. It's your choices to uh, be in the center of righteousness that makes you perfect. That's what makes Jesus perfect. He didn't have a home, right? He probably walked around in the same clothes a lot. I'm sure he didn't wear deodorant. He wasn't pretty, right? Jesus was perfect. He was perfect because he chose righteousness instead of all of his sin. If I'm looking out here right now and you're choosing righteousness and you're dead to your sin, you're perfect. It doesn't get you into heaven. You need Jesus to get you into heaven. But I want you to understand, when somebody says nobody's perfect, a lot of times that's a cop-out to do the things that they want to do because, hey, nobody's perfect. And I want you to let you know the Bible does not agree with that point of view. All right, so now that we touched on those two points, let's get into the main one, and this is judgment. Now, this is a really important uh, topic, I think, for us as Christians, and here's the reason why. It's because we, as a Christian culture, as well as, and hopefully not this room, right, um, but as a Christian culture as a whole, and in our world as a whole, we talk about judgment as if, like, you're never supposed to have any judgment at all, and that is completely foreign to the Word of God, right? I had a friend one time, um, and he came up to me, and he's not a Christian, and um, he had said to me, something that was happening where somebody had obviously done the wrong thing, right? Somebody had, like, come and gone through and, like, pulled all this garbage out and threw it all over the street because they were out looking for cans or something like that and trashed the place. I mean, right? And he goes, he's talking about this, and he goes, oh, 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 but uh, I don't want to judge him. You know, I can't judge what he did. And I was like, really? And so what I said was, look, do you have a wallet? He goes, yeah. If your mom came and said to you, hey, can I see your wallet? Would you give your wallet to your mom? He said, oh, yeah, of course I would. And I said, if a stranger came up to you and said, can I see your wallet? Would you hand me your wallet? He goes, no, of course I wouldn't. You just made a judgment call. You're not supposed to be somebody who has, who's mindless in judgment. And so this is what we need to address. Because what happens when people don't have any type of judgment is people get hurt, right? So let's start off with this. What is Jesus or God? I'll put them in God. Uh, they're all the same. <laughs> but what does God think about judgment? Is God a God of judgment? Absolutely. And I don't think anybody would argue with that, right? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4 uh, says it like this He is the rock. All of his ways, are, or I'm sorry, all of his work is perfect. All of his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. He is the rock. All of his work is perfect. All of his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. He's just. He's truthful. And he's about judgment. If you were to read through uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, you'd see this verse that says, Let those who boast, boast in this, that they know and understand me, that I am a God of unfailing love, of judgment, and of righteousness. For in these things do I delight, declares the Lord. You want to know where God stands on the side of judgment? He's all about judgment, right? But we get that. Nobody wants a bad judge, right? 
Praise God that he's a judge and he's a good judge. Look, the only person who's going to want a bad judge, somebody who's not wrapped up in truth, somebody who's not wrapped up in justice, is going to be somebody who has done something wrong. Let me put it this way. Let's say I go and I rob a bank. And I'm caught on camera, and there's 50 witnesses, and I you know, hold a big hostage situation, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, I get captured, I get arrested, and I go to trial. Do I want a good judge or a bad judge? I want a, good, or I want a bad judge because I've done something wrong. The last thing I want is somebody to go, uh, yeah, check this out, we have you on camera, there's all these witnesses, and you did terrible things, so uh, I don't want you doing it again, you're going to jail. That's what a good judge would say. A bad judge might say, um, no, you know what, I'm sure you're very repentant about this, and you can leave. And maybe afterwards they'll be like, hey, can I get a little bit of money for what I said? Right? This is what a bad judge would do. But God is a good judge, and I think we're all thankful for that. Because if God wasn't a good judge, we'd be in a horrible mess. All right? So God, God is the God of judgment. He's all about judgment. We all get that, though. Even Tupac used to sing, like, hey, only God can judge me, right? Like, so, we get that. But here's the thing. Does God want us to have judgment? Does God want us to judge? Absolutely. It says it like this, um, and again, I love how Paul says things, because Paul is, like, flabbergasted, and he asks questions that are, like, rhetorical questions, right? So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, first of all, in, in chapter, uh, verse 1, he's talking about suing people people suing each other. Right? Then in verse 2, he says it like this. He goes, do you not know that the people of the Lord will judge the world? If you will judge the world, how are you not able to judge trivial cases? Do you not understand that we will judge angels how much more the things of this life? Wait a minute. So Paul is flabbergasted at the concept that we're not supposed to judge? Like, what an interesting thing, right? And here's the reason. When you have a bad judge and then nobody who stands up to do good judgment, who suffers? It's not the rich people that suffer. They can just pay out what they need, get what they need from the bad judge. It's not the powerful who suffer. I love the Batman Begins movie. And, uh, you know, Falcone, he's, uh, he's sitting at, a, at a, the booth. And he's talking about, you know, you look around this room and you see this person and this person and that judge right there and I wouldn't have a moment's hesitation to shooting you right now. And that's power you can't buy, right? It's not the powerful that are, that are the ones who suffer when you have a bad judge. It's the weak. It's the helpless, right? The poor. Those are the ones that suffer when you don't judge, which is probably why in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 9, he says it like this. Open your mouth. Judge rightly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. You see what's happening here? It's the poor and the needy who suffer when you don't open your mouth and judge. And I'll just give you some real world, uh, real world uh, examples of this. Let's say that um, you are uh, back in the days when the people are running the Native Americans off of their land. I don't think anybody in this room will be like, yeah, it was a good move. I think we'd all be like, oh, yeah, that's not good. Number one, that's judgment. Thank you for having it. Um, but where were the people standing up? Where were the people that stood up and opened their mouth for the sake of right judgment? Well, somebody, please stand up. Nobody, I mean, I'm sure somebody might have done it somewhere, but not enough that I have any record of anybody ever standing up and saying, uh, this is wrong and I'm not going to do it. Nobody opened their mouth 
and judged rightly to defend the rights of the poor and the needy, the Native Americans that were kicked off their land. They sure weren't the stronger people in that situation. Right? You talk about slavery. Praise God, some people stood up, and the reason, because they stood up, finally, it was gone eventually. <laughs> right? So, thank goodness somebody stood up against slavery. And we know their names, because there wasn't that many. Right? They had to kind of build up, and then we had to have a war. But, I mean, like William Wilberforce. Wow, this dude stood up because he was a Christian against slavery. And they made a movie about him called um, Amazing Grace. Right? So what I'm saying here is it wasn't such a common thing that people stood up against this stuff. So where were the people that were reading the Bible where it said, open your mouth, judge rightly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy? So what does Jesus say about uh, judgment? Well, this is where I think everybody gets really far off because we kind of jumped around. I want to literally jump and see what Jesus says. He has a lot to say about this. Um, The word's in red. Jesus says these things. And one of, I think, the most well-known, maybe people don't know the reference verse of it, but the most well-known verses in our world is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, which is, Judge not, lest you be judged. Don't judge, or you too will be judged, right? Depending on the version you're reading. So that is probably the most quoted verse of all, you know, in all the Bible. Because <laughs> it's quoted by Christians and non-Christians alike about 100 times a day. Don't judge me, right? Constantly. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Here's the thing about Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. The chapter goes on. It's not a one-verse chapter. It goes on. Now, I'm going to uh, uh, address that uh, chapter a little more later because I really want to finish with that point because it's so uh, the opposite of what people quote it as that I feel like it's a good place uh, uh, to actually stop. Um, Jesus says uh, that he gets why our world is like this. He gets why people are like, don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. And it's really interesting. So Nicodemus uh, was a Pharisee. And Nicodemus was not like Peter. Peter, like, jumped out of the boat uh, for Jesus, right? You know, other people, they dropped everything ahead. You know, Jesus came up to, to Levi, and he said, follow me. And Levi followed him, right? He came to the, the different disciples, and the disciples followed him. Uh, uh, Nicodemus wasn't really like that. Nicodemus was more of a, um, he was a trepidatious follower of God. Still a follower of God, but trepidatious. And so he kind of, like, did it like this. He would, like, sneak in to talk to Jesus, Right? So he's like, you know, I'm following you, Lord. I like what you're saying here, but I don't want my friends, the other Pharisees, to know. So one night, he comes to Jesus, and he sits down to have a conversation with Jesus. Now, his conversation results in some of the most quoted uh, Bible verses in the world. I think the most quoted Bible verse by the um, world is probably Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. However, by Christians, I would dare say, uh, that it is this verse, and I'm going to let you guess which one it is. It's written on the bottom of all the cups at in and out It's written on the bags at Forever 21. It is all over the place. It's John 3.16. Wow, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's, uh, Jesus' con- uh, conversation with Nicodemus. That's where we get that from, right? But again, that goes on. 
It doesn't stop at verse 16. There's a 17 and an 18 and a 19 and a 20 and a 21, right? It keeps going on. So let me, let me just run through some of that for you. So, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, for God did not come and send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Um, those who have believed in the Son of God uh, are not condemned, but those who have not believed in the Son of God have already been condemned because they have not believed in the Son of God. All right, we just got up to 18. Now I'm going to slow down for 19. 19. Here's the verdict. Verdict's a great word because we're talking about judgment. Here's the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Those who do evil... Sorry, my, uh, my headphones are doing evil. Um, those who do evil hate the light and do not want to come into the light because of fear that their deeds will be exposed. But those who live by the truth want to come into the light so that it can be plainly seen that what they do is in the sight of God. Um, So we're all here in um, Los Angeles. And if you live in Los Angeles, anywhere near where I live in Los Angeles, which is like the NoHo area, you are going to know all about the helicopters. (laughs) Because, oh man, these helicopters. Los Angeles Police Department has one of the biggest helicopter divisions of any police department anywhere and they flaunt it. <laughs> and so what happens is, at nighttime, you'll be trying to go to sleep, and you'll be like, oh, a helicopter's passing. And it's still passing. And for like the next hour, you hear this helicopter. Why? Because they're circling outside, uh, you know, in the sky above your, your you know, apartment. Um, so if you ever go out there at night when you're trying to sleep and go, what is making all this noise, and you see the helicopter, you're going to see something on the front of the helicopter. Does anybody know what you're going to see? A searchlight. Right? So the helicopter's looking down, trying to find something on the ground with the searchlight. Now, here's the interesting um, thing, is that um, helicopter uh, divisions get called out for different reasons. Right? Let's say that a police officer comes on the back of a car that registers as stolen. They'll call the helicopter department in, uh, division in so that the helicopter division can come and hover before they try to tell this guy, get out of the car, because it's a good chance he's going to rab it. And if you rabbits, the helicopters are faster and they don't have to deal with like, the turns of the road and stuff like that. So they can keep a good eye on where this car is going. Um, you'll see the helicopters doing some search and rescue, maybe at the beach. You'll see that more with like, the Coast Guard. Um, but in Los Angeles, at least in the NoHo area where I live, you'll see them circling with their searchlight, looking at the ground with their searchlight, searching around. Here's a little trick that they do, and I saw this in a documentary once. Um, when they come and they hover or they circle and they use their searchlight, they're not actually trying to find people with the searchlight. They have thermal goggles, and they'll look down with the thermal goggles. Thermal goggles see your thermal signature, your heat signature, and they'll try to see the people that are hiding, right? So somebody will be, like, running from the police on foot, right? And they'll call the police in. And then they'll see the helicopter, and they'll see the helicopter doing this, and they'll jump in the bushes over here. Why? Because if the light sees me, ha-ha, they don't know where I'm at. But they look down the thermal and they go, uh, yeah, you know, ground troops. <laughs> There's a guy hiding in the bushes over there. Maybe you should go check that out. And so they radio in. The police officers go to that bush. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.